This is NRL Boom Rookies. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's episode of NRL Boom Rookies Greatest Games. Alongside with me, as always, practicing safe social distancing, it's Mitch Doyle. G'day everybody. And storming through the barricades to get to the beach, it's Dale Roots. It very much is. <laughs> Hello everyone. And this week, the, uh, the, the cactus jack of this fatal four-way, the man himself, the listicle king, Harold Ramage. How are you, mate? Bang, bang. I'm great. I'm, re- I'm ready to do some footy. Yeah, so Harry, uh, obviously you are a diehard Newcastle Knights fan, and what game are we going to be talking about this week? Uh, The last time my club was truly relevant, uh, the 2001 Grand Final. Let's do this. Uh, Yeah, exactly, and of course that was the last time the Newcastle Knights won a premiership with a thrilling um, 30-24 victory over the much more fancied Parramatta Eels in in what was a very weird rugby league season for a lot of reasons, Mitchell. It's a weird rugby league season because if you watch this game again, you'd have no bloody clue that the Eels are one of the best sides of the modern era, the 2001s that you want one Eels are. I mean, they set a number of records that still remain today, and I'm sure Harry will add to these after I mention them, but they set the most points scored in regular season with 839 points, the most points scored in a season with finals at 953, the most tries in a season with 159, the most points in a finals match until they broke it <laughs> against the Broncos last week, last year, sorry. The biggest forward against of any side in the regular season. They also had the highest winning margin by an Eels side. The most home wins in a season by an Eels side. I think they scored the first try, and I think Harry can correct me in this one. I think it's, was it 24 or 25 of the games they played in? But they scored yeah. it in the last 22 games leading into the grand final. Yeah, leading to the grand final, it was the last 22 straight they scored first. Yeah, and they won 17 of 18 games from round 11 to the prelim. And they scored 50 or more points five times in that period. Nearly 700 points to 260 of the opposition in that period. Average point of th- average score of 38 to 15. That's crazy. And if, <laughs> if, if, if anyone wants to have a laugh, go back and just look at the ladder for 2001, which was truly the zenith of attacking football. Like The best defense in the comp was the Brisbane Broncos, who conceded 500... Oh, sorry, aside from the Eels, the best defense in the comp was the Brisbane Broncos, who conceded 511 points. Parramatta themselves conceded just over 400. And the Knights, who ended up winning the comp, Harry, conceded 639 points. Yes, they, uh, they famously conceded 49 points in a game in 2001. So you, you can you can have 49 put on you to win the premiership, but not 50. 50 no, it, 50 is too it, much. It, it's 50, 50's too much, which is, is one little number that I do love. Just to go back to the how stupid 2001 was as a season. So I've looked this up. So there were 10 teams who scored 600 or more points in the premiership or in the minor premiership. Since 2010... To, as we sit here in 2020, only five teams had done that and two of them were the, <laughs> were the Storm and the Roosters last year. So it was just, I don't know, there's no exact reason why. It was the first year of 12 interchange. Um, yeah, it was just one of those crazy years It's going to like sit like a Manhattan skyscraper as opposed to like every other statistical category in every season. Uh, yeah. And that point that you make, like if you just take the Eels by themselves, that's six players score 10 tries in a season. Yeah, that's Which is like <laughs> completely bizarre. They they had two players score. that. Well, obviously, Taylor, Taylor was doing the goal kicking, so nearly scored 300 points. 
but Hodgson alone scored another 100. So, like, no, I, yeah. they've had th- a, two players score more than a third of their points, which is just I just want to mention as well. Ridiculous. It was a 14-team season too, by the way, if you didn't remember. So, when they were talking about 10 teams scoring that many points, 14 of only four of them didn't. You know, the South, well, South wasn't there yet. Titans weren't in the comp yet. It was only 14 teams. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, and even then, the Sharks only just fell short yeah. of 594 and two other teams scored over 500. <laughs> the, the, the lowest scoring team in the comp, the West Tigers, still averaged more than 18 points a game. <laughs> footy? Yeah, and... Footy in the yeah, early 2000s. That's crazy. How ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Um, ben but, Walker and Andrew Johns, 279 each. Points yeah. scored regular season. Nathan Blacklock, 27 tries. I mean, yeah. it, the whole season is just absolutely bonkers. And, and it probably really did spoil us as young as young kids back then, just sort of growing accustomed to this high-scoring, free-flowing rugby league that was ruined in the mid-2000s by the wrestle. Mate, really strange uh, one here. See. Okay, so look, I'm looking at the ladder now. Mate. Melbourne Storm, points four, 704. <laughs> points against, 725. And this is the ninth place team. Like, this is an outrageous <laughs> rugby league season. The, the Bulldogs are probably the weirdest team on this list, though. Like, they, they finished second and somehow only – they finished managed to finish second with a points differential of just 49, plus 49, which in itself, it, it must be, I haven't, I'm not going to go back and look at every team that's finished second, but that must be among the smallest ever for a team that's finished second. And then they went into the finals and lost in the first week by a field goal. And then in the second week of the finals, played the Sharks and had 50 put on them and got knocked out. <laughs> and, beat by 40. <laughs> and then, and then, um, didn't, uh, didn't they beat the, the, and then the, the, the uh, Knights Sharks played out the 18 10. Prelim, low scoring prelim. Correct. Yes, Round one they did. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. It was a dogfight of a prelim. I can open up on that a bit more. I was watching some highlights of that earlier this week or last week. Sorry. Well, um, why don't you tell us about that prelim then? It yeah, felt like do. the yeah. finals. The Knights in that finals had like a lockdown defense from nowhere. They had six points put them on them, on them yep. in the first week. And we'll talk about the grand final, but they were good in the grand final. And then what, 10 from Cronulla? Yeah, and those points from Cronulla, um, Matt Rogers scored a try in the corner where Robbie O'Davis sort of forgot to um, brush, you know, tap the ball over the sideline. So he's had an air swing. And they both, and there was another one where Joey's sort of made a half bust, thrown a pass back on the inside. The ball's dropped on the ground. David Peachy's picked it up and run 70 metres, as David Peachy often did, scoring an opportunist try. So they were two tries that really on a lot of other days, wouldn't have been scored. So they were really locked in a dogfight until um, Joey put up the perfect bomb, Ben Kennedy steaming through, uh, catches it on the full, scores at 18-10. The Knights are in the grand final, and then Joey, with two minutes to go, kicks a 40-20 for good measure just to get them into the grand final. But, yeah, it was you were right. But it, like for a team and for a season that was just not known for its defense, the Knights – that was the hallmark of their of their premiership push was just they just tackled their guts out. And, that, and it was that just something that they weren't known for at the time and in that, season to come. Sorry, that Sharks game that you referenced came like six weeks after they combined for almost 80 points. Like they played, they played, uh, they, they lost, the Knights lost to the Sharks in one of the last games of the season, 30 to 49. And then six weeks down the road, they put in, you know, a fantastic defensive effort 
um, which really would have been a home, and a, well, it would have been an away game because it was in yeah. Sydney, um, to to like to clinch a spot in the grand final. So obviously, as you say, like they would have just switched that mentality from fast, free flowing footy to lockdown defense, which served them so well in the first half of the game that we're going to talk about. First of all, I mean, as we mentioned, both both of these teams scored a ridiculous number of points throughout the regular season. They were the two highest scoring teams with Parramatta's 839, as you said, and Newcastle's 782, which for two teams to combine for more than 1,600 points is is absolutely absurd. So we get into the final series and Parramatta make short work of the Warriors and Newcastle make short work of the Roosters. They both win by by 40 or so. Parramatta winning 56 to 12, Newcastle winning 40 to 6, which are... Bring, which gives Parramatta a week off and sees the Knights playing a home semi-final at the SFS. This was those. This was that weird period where like teams like the Broncos and the Warriors and the Knights had to play home semi-finals in in Sydney all the time before we thankfully came to our senses in that regard. But then, as you well, said, the Newcastle Knights had a week off too. Yeah, exactly. Because the Bulldogs lost to St George Illawarra, so both of them hosted home prelims and yeah. wrestled their way past yeah. uh, the Broncos and the Sharks respectively in in relatively close games, and then. Obviously, coming into this game, I mean, the Knights were riding high after some late-season form, but Harry, you were very, very much the underdogs in this game. See, you've said this a lot to me, and the more and more I've thought about this over the years, I just can't understand why they were such despised underdogs. Like, I understand why they were warm, like why Parramatta were warm favourites. Like, they were literally breaking point-scoring records, but... Parramatta over the season were averaging 32 a game. Newcastle were averaging 30 a game. You've got a prime Andrew Johns in a grand final, has one premiership under his belt. Why were they such despised outsiders? Why was it point. why was it such an upset that people you know that people made it out to be? Yeah, and you mentioned that. So like, that, yeah, that, like that, if that... you've got two attacking juggernauts and you've got the world top player. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, you're spot on, and um, and obviously watching it back, yeah, well, I'm, yeah like, I was just thinking, just, just geez, the Knights team is stacked yeah. with stacked with talent. So we'll go through the teams quickly. So the Knights had Robbie O'Davis at fullback, Tamana Tahu and Adam McDougall on the wings, Matthew Gidley and Mark Hughes in the centres. You can't get a much better back five than that, can you, Harry? No, it, it was a pretty stacked um, back line at the time, and you got to remember that Darren Albert injured himself. Um, in the semi-final against the Roosters, and actually that was the last game he ever played for Newcastle. So Darren Albert was actually in in the starting line in the starting lineup, and if I do remember correctly, it was either um, well the Mad Dog was at the was at the height of his powers then, so the Mad Dog was an automatic selection. It was either Mark Hughes or Tamana Tahu weren't a walk-up start to that backline. So crazy to think that, that the strength I... of their side was their backline, no doubt. <laughs> I know he was. I know he was young at the time, but it's crazy to think that Samana Tahu wasn't a walk-up start for a grand final, given how good he was in those first years of his career. Yeah, that's it's cra- absolutely crazy because he was really good in the grand final, and then obviously you had you know the maligned halves pairing, you know the world's best player and someone who gets not enough respect in my eyes, and Sean Rudd. I agree with that. So we had Sean Rudd and Andrew Johns in the halves. Yeah, like- and the- and then, uh, what 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 are your best memories of Sean Rudder, Harry? Uh, this game, actually, um, this uh, actually this whole season, I actually found out when I was about seventeen um, 
I'd spoke I'd spoken to someone who was in the in the nail at the nights or whatever I'd met through doing some work experience or whatever there. Um, he actually played that whole season with a broken bone in his right foot. Wow. So to like you know like he was getting needled up every game. Um, had some obviously obvious problems with his foot, but toughed it out every week and you know he was more he was more like a you know a, a wide running back rower like when he sort of first broke in at the Knights. that's that's sort of the role he came in into but yeah I mean they sort of needed a five eighth because Maddie had just gone to play for Wigan for the season and they sort of really didn't have an established number six and he sort of made it work in the way that like he was just you know I can I'm limited in my ball playing, but I'm very assured in my role outside the best player in the world um, at the time. So it was a very much a yin and yang thing that worked for a season. Like it didn't work further after that, you know, because things change and play styles change and people figure you out. But yeah, like Sean Rudder had a great season in 2001. Yeah. And then you have a forward pack, which has four guys that played Origin or played for Australia in Josh Perry, Ben Kennedy, Steve Simpson, and Danny Badiris. And then two very, very much club stalwarts who, who arguably could have played more rep footy in their time in Matt Parsons and Billy Peden. One, one, of, the, one of the crimes is um, Gus Gould's favourite line of, um, give me 13 Billy Peden's and you'd win an Origin series hands down. And it's like, Gus, you were the coach when Peden, like for a lot of years when Peden was in his prime and you never picked him. But, um, yeah, like Billy Peden's one of my all-time favourites. You know, he's one of those blokes that you just, you know, you can't not have in successful sides. Uh, That forward pack was really good. They they lacked the strike strike power in the forwards. They went and got Ben Kennedy from Canberra. Um, They had a workman like, well, Josh Perry was emerging. Uh, but then they sort of had a workman like prop rotation, and they yeah, and they just went from there. They sort of yeah, just had very simple roles for the big men in the middle, and they just played off the back of it. Yeah, and then of course you had uh, on the bench Paul Marquette, Clinton O'Brien, future Rabbitohs legend Glenn Grief, and a young Daniel Abraham. Daniel Abraham played so many positions. Like he played at fullback, he played in the centres, he played at five eight. Yeah, he played in the back row. Like he, he was a bit like Chris Flannery, if there's a bit of a player comp. But um, all in all, like you know, you'd, you'd look you'd look on paper and you go, oh, those props, you know, they're they're not much or whatever. But the rest the rest of that side's pretty red hot, and you yeah. know, specifically at the time, really suited and catered for that style in the early two thousands. Yeah, I and mean that that night squad that year had thirteen rep players in it. I know, I know we look back and often we don't you know, recognise how good of a team that was. But 13 of those guys played rep football, not 13 in the grand final, obviously. Um, but, you know, you look at the team now and if you look back on paper, it actually looks better than the Eels team. I it guess does. that's also why it's hard to believe it's an upset. It looks better. But this Eels team was, like, young, hungry, and there's so many guys who – a lot. some of them peaked this year too, but so many guys were hitting that certain level of form that, you know, Brad Drew, for example, was probably at the height of his powers in this, in this yeah. season. It was one of the best players in the competition who didn't kick on much longer. But, you know, there's him, Brad Drew, PJ Marshall's great off the bench. You know, uh, you had young Jamie Lyon. You had Pat Richards not getting into the side the same way you're saying you didn't have Brett Dallas and the Knights side. That was another really talented team all the way down. Yeah, Len, let's run through that Eels roster. We had Brett Hodgson at fullback, Luke Burton, Jason Moody on the wings, Jamie Lyon and David Vilecki in the centres, Michael Butner and Jason Taylor with the halves. 
Nathan Kalis, Mick Bella were the props. Brad Drew was hooker. The Highmarsh brothers were the back row. Daniel Wagon was lock. On the bench, PJ Marsh, Andrew Ryan, Alex Chan, and David Solomona. That is a pretty damn good team. Yeah, the real weakness to them, and I know it's not what decided the final, but the Haas pairing is the weakness. I mean, Butner was a solid player, but he also was in the centres when the season started. He kind of ended up at 5'8 there. Jason Taylor gets hooked in the grand final. That We'll talk talk about that, obviously. But that was kind of the weakness. For the rest of it, you had that forward pack that you had Nathan Kalis, young captain there, Michael Vella in his early peak, Nathan Highmarsh in his early days, Daniel Wagon, I think, just before he played Origin. No, the year he did play Origin, sorry. And then the bench he having Andrew play. Ryan yeah. and Alex Chan and David Solomon off of it. And I know that Chan and Solomon don't sound like much now, but those two guys were red hot back then. It, it, was, a, it was a really strong team. Yeah, and... So should we get in? Should we get uh, get into? Well, they the had game? Chad Robinson as their 18th man, and like in the early 2000s, like he was a really tough, compromising footballer as well. God rest his soul, Chad Robinson. Mm-hmm. Like he, you know, he spent some time at the Roosters as well. Like he, he was he was a really classy player as well. Um, yeah. yeah. So it's yeah. interesting so, though, like to have the um the, the double the double the double whammy with the hookers as well. Like you know, there because there wasn't a lot of that going on at the time. Whereas now, a lot of teams like to carry two hookers. Yeah, and the formula both in, I mean, we'll talk about the Eels in there, but I thought PJ Marsh and Andrew are both good in the grand final. But like yeah. PJ Marsh, before his bad injuries, was a red-hot goal off the bench himself. Norm Summons, as Norm Proven and Arthur Summons back in 1963, as captured by John O'Grady. We are underway. Brace yourself for 80 minutes of rugby league excitement. The two best of the business. Peden, first play. So um, so the game kicks off, and the first night set really sets the tone for what would be a basically perfect first half. They get up the field in rapid pace, and then a great Andrew Johns kick uh, puts Brett Hodgson on the back foot. But Parra answer straight back and go about 65 metres in their own first set of the game. What were you thinking at this point, Harry? Um. I was nine years old at Airlie Beach when I first, when when this game was happening. So we were sort of you know on a camping holiday and found a TV screen to watch it all. Um, we were sort of you know hopeful. It was like oh Parramatta's pretty red hot, um, but if I recall correctly, um, Parramatta didn't com- they they got a pretty shitty kick away. It went it went sort of they off did. the side of Michael Butner's boot. Tahu yeah, takes and that, was, over and that, his head. And that for me when I rewatched this game for this podcast. Yep, that that was the difference in you know a lot of this was like Johns just nailed the end of the night sets and just Parramatta just could not buy a good kick or a good end to a set at all for the entire game, and that really that first you know capitulation from Parramatta with a kick, it, it you know just opened the floodgates. Yeah, very much so. And you mentioned John's there. There's three or four times in this game where he basically gets a kick to sit a meter or just like half a meter inside the dead ball line and 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 really gets the eels on the back foot. And then, of course, it only takes a few minutes for Billy Peden to go over for the first try. There's a lot of uh, conjecture from the Parramatta players about Ben Kennedy's decoy run, but you can see very clearly that Jamie Lyon bites on the decoy and it's his own fault that the gap opens up. And they would have they would yeah. have known this. Obviously, Lyon was the youngest player on the field at this point, which was mentioned. This is the fourth minute of the game, and it's been mentioned about eighteen times on the coverage. Uh, he's nineteen. Lyon's obviously very, very yeah. So he's he's not even twenty yet. He's very inexperienced. 
but runs the run, Kennedy runs that perfect line, and Peyton just says, "Cool, thanks. I'll just go through that gap." And just storms over. And as you say, looking back, when you've got that overhead shot, there's no way on God's green earth that there's an obstruction there. And as soon as they had that shot, the the commentators, yeah, absolutely, you know, fatty, fatty, yeah, fatty it's one of those like, yeah, this is yeah, that's a try. Yeah, it's one of those ones where when I watched it, like, I mean, when I watched it yesterday, the first like instance of it happening, I was like, oh, that's an obstruction. And then you see the replay, as you said, that beautiful overhead camera angle, and you're like, oh yeah, that's fine. And they would have clearly known that Lions, Lions inexperience in that kind of like pressure cooker situation. He obviously young, you know, not necessarily seeing the red mist, but you kind of you're in the moment. You see that runner come through. You know that you've got to make the call. And they would have they would have known that he was vulnerable to that kind of thing and just ran the play. And it was three three four minutes played, and they're over. Too easy. Chance for Newcastle. Jones! The dearest for Rudder. Now for Peden. Kennedy ran the decoy. Maybe a penalty. It's a try. Bill Harrigan will want to look at it. There may be an obstruction. Check it for obstructions. Is that what we're looking at? Well, we need to have a look at whether a Parramatta defender is impeded at getting to the ball carrier who was Billy Peden. Yeah, and then it, it, it's... And you might think, oh, you know, it's a minor blip. And, and as Mitch said a, a few minutes ago, it was it was the, the Eels had scored first in, I think, you, you said 22 or 23 games in a row. So, I mean, they were already in Uncharted Wars at this point. And then there's a there's basically a charge down uh, that which Ben Kennedy dives on and somehow manages to not knock on, but despite basically sprinting towards the ball and diving on it at full stretch. And then from there, they get another try through the forwards with Steve Simpson going over. This is one of my favourite calls, actually, in the in the game. I think you get a bit of Johns, Badira, oh, Badiris, Johns, to Rudder, there and again. So you just get that lovely cadence with Rabs, and it always fills my heart with joy. And when you watch, if you watch this on replay, you can actually see, like, like the greatness of Johns is not in that he's, you know, a fantastic try scorer or, you know, this and that, like, when Johns was truly at his best, you see it in the way that the others play. You see that everything is just poetry in motion and everyone is just doing their job perfectly, beautifully. You've got Steve Simpson, nice and wide, running the perfect hole that every back rower should know how to run. You've got Johns holding up the defence, giving perfect service to Rudder, Rudder digging deep to the line, Simpson straight off his hip, really hard bloke to stop. That close out from the line. And then within less than 10 minutes, it's 12 nil, And all of a sudden, Goliath's been punched in the mouth a little bit. And I would love to have been a fly on the wall for what Parramatta were probably saying and thinking behind the line. Um, and, yeah. and, and that point that you make about like, re- the you line know, really that Simpson runs, like Rudder mm-hmm. goes all the way into the line, plays him off his hip, and he picks out the smallest bloke in the line and just runs right at his left shoulder. And there's, as you say, there's no way that he's going to get stopped yeah. from five yards out running like a, a bullet a gate. And it's not necessarily Taylor's fault that he's four foot three, 
But like, if there's one player that you don't want trying to defend a play like that on his own line in a situation like this, this early in the game, it's obviously the smallest bloke on the field. And the Knights would have known that because they, as you said, Joey sets the team to run into that hole and then Rudder just executes and they go straight in. Yeah. And then from there, Parramatta almost come back into it. There's a, there's a big bomb from uh, Brad Drew towards the right wing. Jason Moody beats Adam McDougal in the air uh, he he, as he's coming towards the ground, he tries to throw a desperation pass. Lyon ends up diving over to score, but the Moody pass very clearly goes forward, and it's a big let off for the Knights, who, uh, as a result, roll up the other end, and Billy Peden scores a double. And at this point, Newcastle are perfect with a thirteen for thirteen completion rate. Harry, yeah, I mean this was the most um, memorable part of this grand final, and I mean it's like one, it's like well, Bill Peden. Uh, yeah, he's the, he's the longest tenured player in the in the side. He's um he's bled buckets and sweated gallons for that club, and didn't you know you had like a you had like a good game in the '97 decider, but you know this is like his lifetime achievement award. Like you get to play 200 games for your local club, um, a club that you really helped establish, and they're going to give you two tries on the night in what is your penultimate season. Um, it really doesn't get much better for someone like that, like and probably someone who's, you know, quite deserving. I mean, there's only five dual premiership players in Knights history. Um, he's one of them, and he's the only one who's scored a double. Well, no, him and O'Davis have scored doubles in a grand final. Like, that's the kind, that's the kind of history that he's going to sit in at the club for a long time uh, and something that not a lot of people think about, but those kind of things matter. matter. When you, when you know you look at the history of the club, for sure, and it's Parramatta are so rattled at this point. I mean, a- Andrew Ryan goes close to scoring, and it's Steve Simpson who's already scored a brilliant try up the other end, who makes an unbelievable try saving tackle. Tackle Perry, Nathan Haymarsh, they're in. Andrew Ryan, Andrew Ryan, subject to video scrutiny. I think we're all looking at the grounding of the football here. Nathan Hindmarsh getting into dummy half. And another man who played State of Origin this year, Andrew Ryan, runs very good lines. Comes into the gap. Simpson coming across to try and stop him. Does he get the ball down? He has it. He has not got the football down. Unbelievable. Steve Simpson, a try saver, still has not touched the ground. And I think that that's probably long enough. What about that? This is like the most stupidly good. Well, this, yeah, I mean, this was a try. Yeah, try for all money. <laughs> and he sticks his foot out, and he somehow, somehow gets his foot under the ball, and then kind of. It's not just the fact that he gets his foot under the ball; it's also the kind of like almost crocodile roll that he performs, grabbing the ball, kind of in his breadbasket and wrapping wrapping Pine Marsh up in one motion. It's like it, that is one of the all-time grand final try savers. Yeah, sorry to just yeah. jump back. I mean, anything Harry. like they, they could have ran after that. Yeah. You um you said there were five guys who who played in both grand finals. It's Robbie O'Davis, Andrew Johns, Billy Peden. Who are the other two for the benefit of the listeners? Uh, Mark Hughes and Adam McDougal are the other two dual premiership players of the Knights. There you go. Um, and so uh, after that, yeah, like, Parramatta is still 
so they're just so rattled. They keep dropping the ball, and it's summed up with basically the worst error of the half when Jason Moody picks up the ball at dummy half to go for a scoot and just just drops it cold. Well, Jason Moody attempts to pick up the ball would be a more accurate representation. <laughs> I mean, like we we spoke about this prior to, to hitting record, but it, it how does this how like how does this happen? It's not kind of a matter of. It's not a matter of just like losing your head in the moment or, or not ex- executing technique pr- properly. It's a combination of all several factors that go into a, you know, a fine motor movement of the human body because he literally picks the ball up, puts his head up to go for a run, and then the ball is just not there anymore and he looks yeah. genuinely surprised. And it's it's crazy because like up till this point, I know that the par- the eels are a bit shell shocked, but they're still chancing their arm and they're still pushing the ball and they're still playing the way that they've played all season. But it's this moment where their heads drop really for the first time when I was watching it back, and it's at this point where you clearly think, "Geez, these guys are rattled." I just don't I just don't know if there's a way back into the game, and it gets worse for them straight after that. There's a great dart from Andrew Johns. He's tackled a couple of meters short of the line, but Big Ben Kennedy's there. Uh, to, at dummy half to scoot over and dive in under the post. And the Knights have four tries and they've all come from back rowers. Two metres out from the parameter line. It's about to be challenged again. Rudder, Johns. Johns is through. Johns pulled down. Five metres out now. Kennedy. Kennedy's over. Kennedy's in. Well, this is unbelievable. 22 0. You can see the ejected faces on one side. Sparky's down. He's gone for the count. And Ben Kennedy. What a season Ben Kennedy has had. Prolific try scorer. Sorry, I'm back. I'm back. I'm back now. But yeah, so um sorry, there was a momentary cutout and I've just come back in. So Ben no Ken- Ben Kennedy has done the uh, the Nelson months. He sort of he used he used a defender um to uh, block out another defender, dives over next to the sticks, and over they go. And honestly, I remember as a nine-year-old, this was the most shocking results in any sporting contest that I can sort of really remember. Um, like you know, my my memory, my first like the ninety-seven grand finals, my first memory of rugby league, and I can just remember my dad swearing at the TV, going, uh, "F me, dead John's, why have you gone left?" Or why have you gone on the blind? Holy shit, they've scored. Um, so, like, this was genuinely shocking. They are leading twenty four nil in a grand final, and it, this this kind of thing never happens on the big day. They have blown them off the park. Now, like, some you know, like I was saying before that you know maybe we shouldn't have seen this as such a big upset or whatever. But you got to, at the time, like the Knights were just such. You know, enormous outsiders. It like it was like I can only imagine how Parramatta were feeling. I remember feeling just stunned, like literally stunned. It's twenty four nil. It's like this is one of the all time. Like this is one of the all time boilovers. It was just genuinely shocking. Is my feeling and what I remember of the Ben Kennedy try in that grand final. And you've got Sterlo, obviously, all-time Parramatta Eels legend on commentary. And at this point, he just says, this is unbelievable. That's all he says. He, he's, he's as shell-shocked as the players. And obviously, he's, he's an absolute pro, and he does his best to remain impartial when he's commentating. But you can hear the disappointment and the sort of 
flabbergastation in his voice. Like, he can't believe what is happening. And then just before half time, Parramatta have a four on two. They butcher it with some great cover defense from Newcastle. Luke Burke gets tackled into touch. And at half time, the Knights have had 58% of the ball and Parramatta have made nine errors to one. It's as the point that you were making before about like the Newcastle one error was 13 for 13 on their sets. It's just like, I can't, like, this was just a perfect half of footy. Like, it was so close to a perfect half of footy. If they don't make that one error, like, what, as a coach or as a player, like, what more can you ask for than effectively 60% of the pill, uh, you know, four tries, a clean sheet, going into halftime? And it wasn't like that, that, it wasn't like they were doing it easy, but in a way, they, they were just doing it well. It kind of looked not effortless, but it looked uh, yeah. They just nailed their just a plan coming together. Is what happened really? Yeah, yeah. Any time the um the Eels strung together four or five plays in this game, the whole way through, by the way, they looked like they were going to crack the line and score. But in this first half, the Knights scrambled a fence is sensational and shuts it down. And you, and you mentioned how it felt like it felt like a grand final, like almost a perfect first half. It's exactly the same for me. As um the 2018 grand final, the Roosters and uh and Storm, how you know the Storm come in as that heavily favoured side or similar, probably more favoured than they should have been, and the other team just smashes him in the mouth, and it just over at half time, <laughs> you know, and yeah. the Knights played you know a football perfect from the start to the 40th minute mark. As as Harry said, they only had one error, and it was a forward pass from dummy half. Their back rowers went perfect lines and they scored tries, tries off of that. But they were just all over the Eels in this half, both sides of the ball. They forced errors, they they covered, defended well, and they scored every time they were in the opposition yeah. 20. Yeah, and so... I think the other then, thing... Sorry, if I can just cut in. Sorry if go I'm on. being rude. No, you're right. Um, I, think, I think another feature of this first half, when you, um, when you re-watch this game, Matt Parsons and Josh Perry played the games of their life. Like, they were ready to run through a brick wall for Newcastle. Like, they just absolutely skittled the Eels through the middle. And, like, really, they, like, as brilliant as, you know, Johns was kicking game and, you know, marshalling the troops, like, they kicked the door down and they were just unbelievable in this game and have really never probably got the credit that they deserve for setting up the victory Um. Yeah, I think it's worth mentioning that, honestly, they played the game of their lives that night, um, Perry and Parsons. Yeah, and then the second half starts and it just basically continues on for Parramatta. They haven't, there was no big turnaround in the sheds. There was no pep talk from Brian Smith. So in their first real chance of the game in their second half, uh, Hodgson makes sort of a half break on the back of an offload, but he drops the ball with space. He may well have scored if he'd held onto the pill, but instead it goes to ground and they've picked up right where they left off. What it took it took the Eels seventeen minutes to get onto the scoreboard, you know. In and when you when you're trailing by twenty four, like chances are you're not going to win. But to have a genuine chance of you know a comeback, we have seen comebacks that big before. But you've probably got to get one within the first six seven minutes, and they're not and paramount like the possession flow turned. Funny funny how that happens sometimes in games. Um, the the knights all of a sudden had to get off the get off the eels ball runner quicker um, some gaps started to open up but the knights were still doing enough where they were scrambling and defending for each other that it took like um 
Because, yeah, so the Hodgson try in the 67th – or the 57th minute, sorry. And then, well, you, you got, you've got to put tries back-to-back. You can't, like well, – and then, then we know, then we know what happens after that. But it's no, it's no good to score one seventeen minutes and take that long, like well, realistically. The, I mean, you're, you're not done beforehand if you're taking seventeen uh, minutes. You know, you can always get come on back and win it because, like, they, they the the point that I was going to make about the Moody drop in the first half, the the area out of dummy half, it's like that was thirty minutes into the game, and they're only down eighteen nil. I don't know, it's only, and I know it's thirty minutes, but like. They're not in a losing position at that point. Like they, they can come back and win at that point. There's there's still a possibility. There's plenty of time left in the game to come back and make. Oh, absolutely, make a comeback. And and to 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 wait almost an hour of a game to get on the scoreboard and then like to to get hot. That you've got to you've kind of got to start putting the plays together as soon as you come out of the sheds in the second half. Yeah. Um. The the other thing that I noticed, we'll, we'll talk about the we'll talk about the Eels try. I'm assuming, but like the Knights at this point, are, like they, it's starting to get to that. The, watching this back, the thing that would have worried me watching it live would have been the Knights are just going to start to run out of juice, and the Eels are going to run them down. I think they I think they were very much in game management mode for for a large part of the second half. I mean, but. Before Parramatta do score, the Knights have a chance to go further ahead with Steve Simpson going over, but classic Bill Harrigan doesn't check doesn't check the grounding, just says that he was held up. I still think oh, he scored. Hilarious. He scores, right? I'm not crazy. <laughs> I mean Yeah, and then you had like Fatty whinging then, in the commentary box going, Oh well the video refs there, they might as well use it. Like oh, and how funny like, was this I is so that loud when he, yeah. he said that. I was just like <laughs> Knowing what we know now about how much these guys hate the bunker, like it's just so funny. If if that happened now, they'd praise the referee for not yeah. making a call. Sorry, for, sorry for making a call. Actually, no, they wouldn't. They crucify him for being wrong. Johns, run up Simpson for number two. Simpson is over. No, held up. When he first went over, he was lifted up. He didn't get it. Harrigan saying when he first went over, he was lifted up. Didn't get the ball down. Luke Burt, David Bialecki. Oh, gee, that's a brave decision. Well, he showed a bit of ticker there, Bill. I don't know why he just wouldn't go to the video referee, let them have a look at it. He's a long way away from it. He's about 30 metres back on the inside. The touch, he really hasn't got a great view. Eagle Eye Bill, he's, he's confident in his decision. He's probably right in the end. Gee, they're up there. Why not use them? Yeah, I agree. But still, and then on the same set, Robbie O'Davis is denied by Nathan Heimarstager. So the Knights really could have gone up 30-0 before finally a great run and offload from Andrew Ryan puts Brett Hodgson over for Parramatta's first points. Yeah, but say this period of Parramatta, I know they only scored once, but they actually look like scoring for the maybe the first 20 minutes of this half. Like, because every time they got the ball, they were throwing it around. and they actually, I think they broke the line seven times to the Knights five I think I got in front of me here but they actually look red hot and they get over and you think oh mate is it on it might be on <laughs> but as uh, as Harry said it, it, it wasn't it wasn't on for very long <laughs> no jo- interestingly before the Knights do score another try Joey goes for a field goal at 24 to 6 he just pushes it wide to the right 
And I honestly, and they they questioned him a little bit for going for it, but I think given the scoreline, given that it's you know, given that you're up by eighteen, I think it's perfectly reasonable. For I to wouldn't go for have bl- I wouldn't have blamed him for taking a pot before halftime. Honestly, <laughs> on on halftime, why not? Like it's yeah. it's another it's another scoring opportunity. You may as well take it. Exactly. He felt the, the swing. You call him the game manager. He felt the swing, as Harry said. If you think Johns is in, in control of this game, he felt the Eels making those meters, and he's like, "Well, I'm just going to seal this here." He missed it three times. He tried three of them, but you he know, did his he, best. he knew what he's doing. That's the best that we can ask. the best we can ask. Yeah, but then obviously he puts up a high bomb. Tamara Tahu gets a super lucky bounce, and he and he just manages. It was very similar to the try that Kurosame Ava scored for Souths in 2014 in a lot of ways, and he just manages to. Find the, the ball finds its way to him while he's on his knees, just inside the dead ball line and the sideline, and he puts it down. And yeah, that 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 try. I know it ended up being thirty to twenty four in the end, but that try was basically game over, Harry. John, high ball, Tahu's after it. Ball bounces, came off Tahu, and he grabs the ball. Damana Tahu has scored. Yeah, it was um it was a game of tiddlywinks after that. It was um man, Luke Burt and Brett Hodgson just had an absolute clangor. Um as the bomb went up, it's it's one of those ones where it's in between the two. Um I'm probably thinking that Hodgson's gotta come across there because um Luke Burt having to run with the fly to the ball. It's a very difficult take for him to make. So he's probably got to scream out, Hodjo, you've got to come across and catch this. And they sort of just look at each other. And the ball does it does the soccer ball bounce where it just bounces perfectly in the air, um, which is hard to do with a with an oval-shaped ball like a um like a Steeden generally is. And honestly, it's it's like the room service bounce has just ended up in Tamanatahu's grasp, and over and he goes, and, and it's game over. It's, and he's like slid. He slid well, it to was, a stop it, at that it, point it goes as well. to twenty-eight to six. That's what John misses. So, yeah, yeah it's sorry, just he, it's fluid. He, he, it's like, beautiful, and and, tw- and, it, and at twenty-eight to six, it's done. Yeah, so, but then Tahu slides in, and the ball just like he slides on his knees. He's stopped. And the ball just la- just lands there for him. It's it's like serendipitous, like it was just meant to be, and it all could have just been avoided by somebody going and catching the ball in defence. You would have thought so. And then we get a super sketchy try at the other end for Jamie Lyon, where somehow the ball pinballs between him and Mad Dog about five or six times. It manages to evade his arm every single time before he finally grounds it. I don't think this was a try. I would have probably given. I probably would have called a knock on against Lyon or first knock on against Mad Dog. I'm sorry, but. Nevertheless, they, they, they give the try. What, what were your guys' thoughts on, on this try and this decision? I think it's try by letter of the law, but I think it's not given right now. Like, they didn't give the Jack Bird one a couple of years ago. Downward pressure now seems to be more than just touching it, <laughs> you know, but it, I think there was downward pressure. I think he, he grazed it when it was on the ground. That's all it needed. But um, by how they actually enforce that rule now, I do agree it would be no try under the current rules. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. Like the, the the kind of lead up bit where they're in in contest for the ball uh, was a little bit more sketchy than the grounding, but yeah, I don't think I have any issue with how they how they would have interpreted it now. Yeah, then the Knights start turning the screws Only again. They force the dropout. 
Brad Drew goes short. It doesn't go 10 meters. And Joey takes a gift two to make it 30 to 12 with just a few minutes to go. But then, of course, a great run from PJ Marsh and a really good grand final try from Jamie Lyon makes it 30 to 18 with seven minutes left. Harry, at this point, how are you and the other Knights fans around you feeling? Only 12 points ahead with Parramatta really finishing fast. From memory, I was the only Knights fan. Um, and I, there was there was no stress. Um, they, they literally all felt like consolations uh, and they would be nothing more by that point because just just because of the dominance and just how thoroughly you know Newcastle got out to the you know the 30 to 6 lead and it was 30 to 12 with 10 minutes to go and it's like teams teams with the best player in the world just don't butcher this moment like it's the the game the game's theirs and having since read Danny Badiris's biography where um, he addressed this subject and I think it's a bit of the, bit of the Mark War syndrome, where oh, you know the job the job's done. Like, well, let's just flick one to mid wicket, you know, see if I can get it over. He said, "Oh shit, I'm out." So I think it was one of those situations where the job's done. Um, they were a very talented team, not not so much like one of those hard working teams like that. You know, we seem to categorise these days. They really did just take their foot off the brakes and started to go into party mode. But had the game been in the balance a little bit more, I'd, I'd say they would have hung on anyway. I don't think there's an argument for... Um, yeah, I really don't think there's an argument um, anyone can realistically mount that, oh, oh, the Knights were really in trouble there. Had the game gone another five, six minutes... Yeah. Had the game gone another five, six minutes, the Knights, the Knights would have... I think it's it's difficult to say because uh, you know if the game had gone for another five minutes, Parramatta may well have scored again. But also at the same time, the way the Knights were playing was clearly with the fact that it is an eighty-minute game in mind. They were very much in game management mode for the last, uh, definitely certainly the last quarter of the game. And we saw Parramatta went pretty close to scoring again on the next set. They got into the Knights' half before Daniel Wagon knocked on from a Kalis offload, and then Joey has, as Mitch said, his third crack at a field goal and misses again, which opens the door for Parramatta to score a pretty ugly try with a Brad Drew tunnel ball ending up with Brett Hodgson diving over. And they've they've made it 30-24 with a minute to go and they get the kickoff back with about 25 seconds left. When David Solomon is hitting up that kickoff off the back fence, Harry, what are you thinking at that point? Oh, just make, make the tackle. Um, re- realistically, my memory, like it's, we've got t- just two tackles to make and it's game over. Like, I don't think they're going to do anything that um, has you know, that's going to sort of spoil the party and mean that it's going to extra time or whatever. Um, so I I kind of think, like, when when that last, when, the, when was it Jamie, Jamie Lyon scored, make it 30-24? Yeah, like, yeah. they would have got a little bit of a rev up behind the lines. Okay, right, now we've got two bloody tackles to make. Do you want to make two tackles and win the comp? Or, like, do we want to, you know, do we want to fool around a little longer? So I think the... Yeah, I think I think the law would have been laid down there a bit. I think the previous two tries before that, or whatever they, you know, or the previous try before that, it would have been like, meh, like so what, you know, like we're we're gonna win. But then at thirty twenty four, they're probably like, oh, hang on, like let's just pull our finger out here for for two tackles. That's all it is. Um, yeah, and they, they weren't the night, they weren't getting beat. The Eels swing it right. The desperation grubber kick goes in. It's quickly shepherded over the sideline. And the game is over. And the Newcastle Knights, for the second time in five years, are premiers. Ten seconds. A 
80 metres away is the line. Budner through from Heimarsh. Jamie Lyons kick. It's in a touch. There's the hoot up. Newcastle have won it. Newcastle are the Premiers. Second time in history. 30 points to 24. Five tries to four. And the look of disappointment reflected collectively by the Parramatta bench. I think it's important that you say the second time in five years. Um, because I know a lot of people give the night shit about oh not un, not only winning half a premiership or their first their first grand final win was um, tainted a, a little bit like people you know say the Broncos well can you really count the '97 grand final and the answer um, is yes record, you count both of them no no for the record you count, them, you count Newcastle's you count Newcastle's '97 title but not Brisbane's that's how it works is it how did, yes how did I see this coming. Yeah, you, you can't both. I think. I think the fact as well. I think the fact as well that the Broncos won two competitions and then the Knights won, and and then the Knights won a second title, all within the space of four or five seasons. I think that. I think that legitimizes that both their premiership wins were legit as well. Um, it's sort of you know, it's sort of the Knights. Was that they'd been around fourteen years at that point, two grand finals. Were a finals powerhouse at the time. Like this was, this was the end of the, the really the really good run for the night. Like and realistically, there was probably a lot of reason to think, hey, we're going to be around for a lot longer. Like we 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 could snag another one here in the Andrew Johns era, but it just wasn't to be. I mean, I think both teams probably had that after this game. And this this Eels team, I think, also lost almost everyone, but I think four or five players by the end of 2004. And we all know what happened with Jamie Lyon. You know, Pat Richards wasn't in this side, but he was out of the club shortly after. You know, Solomona was out of there quickly. They uh, This was Jason Taylor's last of the game when he played 55 minutes. But they turned over most of their squad after this. And the Knights had a big turnover before it to get into from 97 to this 2001 side. But, yeah, it just... It does seem weird that 19 years ago, for 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 you for you guys, that this was it. Like, it doesn't seem that long ago, but this was the end of the Joey, you know, Grand or Premierships. Really, it's the last one he won, and the last one he, he got close to winning. Yeah, well, I actually thought in the next year in 2002, when the Bulldogs got done for the salary cap, I thought, hang on, they're a real chance of going back to back because they were equal first with the Warriors this, this season. I thought the Knights War Knights Warriors is going to be the grand final. Um, but first week of the finals, very early in the in the game, they played. It was they were second v seventh, and the Dragons were seventh that year in two thousand and two. And Luke Bailey mm. kneed Joey in the back. He broke his back, um, and that was the beginning of all the big injuries for Johns. And I think I think the game was nil all when that happened. You got to think a home final. The Knights had a really good record at home at the time. You got to think. That injury doesn't happen. I think we see a Knights Warriors grand final that year. I, I honestly do, and I know the Chooks were on a bit of a run. They finished nine straight to win the grand final, but yeah, a, a, another Joey Freddie duel would have been awesome the next season. Um, it would have been. Yeah, we, we kind of just got robbed of that a little bit. Um, you did well. It's his last yeah, finals. Uh, like win, actually, he lost his last yeah. next three finals. He did. Yeah, the, the, the point that you sorry just to jump in the point that you make about like. The Knights, uh, sorry, Parramatta's turnover, and I know it's a, I know it's a slightly different story, but like 
Look, if you look forward to the Knights' next grand final appearance, which is 2009, we said that there were only five players from the Knights that, oh, sorry, the Eels' next appearance, which is 2009. We said that the Knights only had five players backing up from the 97 grand final, and one of them would have been Albert. Another one of them would have been Albert, who, as you said, got got uh, got injured in the semi. Parramatta only had three players in the 2009 grand final who were there on the 01 day. Hindmarsh, Kalis, and Luke Burt. And I know that those three of the, that like those three players are three of their all-timers, when you really think about it, kind of post post-premiership all-timers. But like that level of turnover with with a team in that 2001 team that was so young and was so hot, um, it as you say, it just kind of goes to show how how quickly the team kind of fell apart and had to be rebuilt. Yeah, like um, yeah. Well, Jamie Lyon and David Vialecki were like two great strike centers that Parramatta had. They were, they just had points oozing out of them in this team, and all of a sudden, you know, those two like Vialecki fell off pretty quickly. Lyon was out of there for you know the the reasons that we do know. Um, so then you know they they lost a lot of their strike scoring ability, uh, you know, super quickly as well. Um, and they lost yeah, Brett like, Hodgson and they kept Luke Burt. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Great, great work. But you know. <laughs> um, yeah, that 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 is a bit baffling. But um oh god, there was something there was something else on my mind about this game. Oh um I did want to run past you guys as well. Um, having rewatched it again. Did they get the Clive Churchill medal right? I still don't agree with you. I, I know it's probably closer than the, the – people always act like there was a massive rip-off. And I do agree watching this again, Joey is better than I remember him being. But I still think Ben Kennedy is the best player on the field. And I think Bill Peter might have been the second best. I I agree with that. I think you could make a case for pretty much any of the Knights back rollers. But Joey, it wasn't it, – it's not like when JT won it in 2015. It's not like – it's not an egregious decision. He did play really, really well. I don't think he was the best player, but he's certainly the most high-profile player, and he was probably, at worst, the third or fourth best player on the field. So in, with that in mind, I don't think it's a particularly outrageous decision. Yeah, I, I think I'm in agreement with, with with each of you there. Like, I, I mean, huge show of respect from Ben Kennedy to 19-year-old Jamie Lyon that every time Ben Kennedy got the ball, he seemed intent on running straight over the top of him and just making do a mountain of work in defence to really take the sting out of him and attack. You know, and BK, you know, jumps on a loose ball, which leads to a, which leads to the second try. Um, there's there's a few little things like that. I picks up a loose ball, runs 30 metres downfield, gets the Knights out of trouble in the second half when the Eagles look like they're mounting pressure. You know, it's not it's more than just the big runs that BK did in that game. A few jarring tackles, but I still think for me, the more and more I watch this game, I think they did get the decision right. And like I said before, you, I, I, I could mount a case that either Matt Parsons or um, or um, Josh Perry could have could have got some votes or some um, Clive Churchill love. But for me, mm. they got that decision 100% right because when you saw how well they played, like, and this happened quite often, um, they were a very popular team at the time. 
dog, you'd probably remember this as well. Like it was them or the Broncos that were always on Friday night footy on Channel 9. Um, Broncos on Fridays, mate. Just <laughs> you. They, they, when, yeah, it doesn't happen now, but it, mate, they used to be, they were a top draw for Channel 9 for a lot of years in the John's era. Um, but whenever they played their best and they just towed teams up, it was performances like this where John's just had his fingerprints all over, like just perfect kicking game where he probably nails about 70% of his kicks, gets him exactly where he wants them. Um, you know, forwards are going exactly where he wants them to go. The back line's just fluid and just loose and just everything. Attacking shapes are all beautiful. Like he just has his fingerprints all over a lot of this game and, I know people like I know he does get the Clive Churchill medal in this game, but I don't think that a lot of people think this is one of his greatest games. And when you watch the game closely, I, I really think that it, it it probably should be thrown in the catalogue of his greatest games. Whether it's like you know two thousand and five Origin, I, I think it should it it's not quite at that level because that game is a like that that game is a halfbacks masterpiece. But I think this game is about as good as you could play. It was about as good as a halfback can hope to play in a grand final. Yeah. I think that's but again, there were fair. a lot of standouts in this side as well. There really were. I just had a couple of general notes on the game. That giant shield the teams had on their jerseys is absolutely hideous and kept distracting me from what I was watching. I was, I was thinking <laughs> about this from a sartorial perspective earlier this week. Uh, like, <laughs> these are, these are two of the worst jerseys. Like that no, no, no. Paramount First of all, no, sucks. I'm not having this. Those Eels jerseys are glorious. It's oh. just that ugly, it's just that hideous, it's just that hideous big NRL shield that both teams have on the jerseys that really ruins it for me. To me, that Eels jersey is iconic. It's very much, it's one of the first jerseys I think of when I think of rugby league from the late 90s and the early 2000s. Ugh. I'll let, I'll let you have that. It's not Paramount's it best jersey, put it that way. But uh, yeah, you're right. And And speaking of jerseys, now that this was this this game took place at a at a weird time in kind of Sydney history. Obviously, it was the year after the Olympics, so the wings were still on the stadium, but they were getting ready to take the wings off the ground. So this, the the wing, if you've if obviously if anybody's watched any of the Olympics from two thousand, you remember the big wings where the Olympic cauldron was. Um, but they're they're still there. But then underneath them, the the government at this point was taking out. Was about to be taking off the wings and roofing the stand, uh, roofing the stadium. So there's just these massive jerseys just hanging around at the ends of the ground. And Harry mentioned it to me, and I was, like, and as soon as he said it, I was like, "How absolutely bizarre!" And um, but but under there, there's no people because yeah. there was they were getting rid of the seat. Yeah, I, I thought the big jerseys were cool, but yes, <laughs> there's a reason why they didn't do them again. Bizarre. Yeah. You see them at you see them at uh, Bulldogs and Souths games when they when they're like trying to fill like the upper ends of the stands, but like never never again, never again. Yeah, so that that was the uh, two thousand and one grand final. Of course, as Harry said, the, the it is to this date the last time the Knights won a premiership, and Parramatta, of course, haven't have have still been waiting since the nineteen eighties to win one. They came relatively close a couple of times shortly after this, but yep, they um are still waiting for that elusive premiership <laughs> that's now been evading them for more than 30 years, Mitchell. 
Yeah, yeah. Before we move on to the uh, our, our little awards at the end, there, I want to drop off some uh, some important stats or key stats in the game, just just for people's individual memory of the performances here. Uh, bizarrely, Andrew Johns led the Knights in tackles with thirty tackles, and Butner led the uh, the Eels with thirty seven. So you can you already kind of see what both guys teams are trying to do, which is run at the other halves, and how uh, and how Harry mentioned Jamie Lyon making tackles. He had to make twenty one, and Ben Kennedy was all all over him the whole game doing that. But the guy who led the, the game in metres, though, is PJ Marsh, 176 metres off the bench for the Eels. And he was by far the most dangerous player for them when he came on and played hooker. And, you know, his performance is the reason why Brad Drew came back on for Jason Taylor to finish his NRL career on the bench. But go to Ben Kennedy's numbers, though, for a guy that I, you know, I thought was the best on field on the day. He had 15 runs, 166 metres. He had a try assist, a line break assist, a line break, six tackle breaks, a try, as we know, and he only had to make 18 tackles on top the whole game, but he was just exceptional. I mean, and the numbers back up, back that up. I mean, having more than 10 metres of run as a back row was an impressive effort, especially back then. Oh, right. That's a stat line, man. <laughs> it is, mate. In a grand final, you've pretty much got one in every column, you know? <laughs> Not bad. Not yeah, bad at all. It's, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's the, per- it's the perfect ball. So we've got our, our awards to hand out, obviously. We've got the uh, the Braith Award for the uh, the best on ground. Who are we throwing out there? Also the best moment, right? And for mine, again, it's, um, it's, just, it's actually that Bill Peden try for me. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's, hard, that's hard to argue. Um, one of my... One of my favorite moments it's not an actual in the game moment but the fact that this was the first nighttime grand final so that was very unique about this game um and you know newcastle being the out of town team oh well hang on when's the team actually going to get back with the premiership trophy there was fifteen thousand people waiting at um, marathon stadium at 2 30 in the morning and when they got there they just they just did not leave. Like the place just descended into bedlam, and I'll nominate that for sneaky moment of the whole thing. But the the Bill Peden part is hard to hard to pass, as you said, Mitch. Yeah, yeah. Like the, for the me, for me, made, it's, that, that for me, Peden it's Kennedy's like try, just purely because, just purely because when Kennedy scores, there's just this absolute moment of shock from basically everyone around that this game isn't just sort of inching towards a boil over, that it is well and truly boiled over and that's really the first point where Knights fans were like we're going to win the grand final so but yeah they're all they're all great moments and you listeners feel free to let us know what you think was the moment of the game we move on to the Paul Carriage award for the uh the which is basically the inverse the worst the worst moment of the worst on ground um obviously it's going to be somewhat of a paramedic inclination in this game but um <laughs> who have you boys yeah. gone with? I'm, I'm nominating mine off nominating mine off the ground, but mine's Brian Smith. This is his third grand final, third of four, <laughs> and his teams have not turned up to one yet. God knows what he does like before. He took the team away on camp. Apparently, the Knights players said they could see pre-match how nervous and uptight the Eels team was pre-match, and they played the first half like it wasn't a grand final, like it was just some other game. It's, it, it's him by a distance for mine. How can he get teams so poorly prepared for grand finals on four occasions? I don't know how. Like to the point where we were we were discussing this episode uh, prior to recording, and friend of the podcast Mary was literally like, uh, "Do you, what did she say?" She was like, "Do you mean how they were all terrified at the grand final breakfast?" 
And I was like, I remember thinking back being like, they really, they really were terrified. Like how, what are you as a coach doing to put the fear of God into your players in a, in a definitively not positive way? Smith, Smith is not a bad shout, you know? Yeah, I'm fine with that. Well, he started do, he started doing weird things that season because, because yeah, yeah, he started doing some really stupid things in in games that year. Like because they would often get so far ahead, well, for the next ten minutes, oh, well, let's just pull the bloke off, you know, and play with twelve for the next seven or eight minutes or ten minutes, you know, because hey, like we may get a simbit in a big game or something, and it's like. That's a really strange thing to do in the middle of like a game that's being played for premiership points. And they showed up at that grand final breakfast and they had like the black skivvies and the blazers and stuff like that. And the Knights just rocked up in polo shirt and a pair of jeans and a, a kick in the footy round. And like, it, it, like to juxtapose the two next to each other. And Doyle and I actually discussed this before, but. Like Brian, like, I mean, and Brian Smith has had a shocker in all his grand final appearances, but he was just so okay after the game as well. Like in the, if there's a copy, something like, well, I managed to track it down, but he was just far too. Oh, well, the Knights just came out and played hunger at the start of the game. Like he was just way too okay with it. <laughs> I know there's being a gracious loser and all of that, but. Come on, man! Like he—he he easily gets the the Paul Carriage Award. Is that what we're calling it? The Paul Carriage Award? We are, mate. We are. But his grand final history, by the way, is twenty-eight to eight loss to the Broncos in ninety-two. Ninety-three, they only lost fourteen to six, but they were down ten nil very, very quickly. This game, he only lost by six, as you know. But he's down twenty-four nil at halftime. And his last grand final in twenty ten with the Roosters, he are down thirty-two to eight. They got they got done. He got smoked in every grand final he played. His teams were never in any of them. And the point that you make about being a gracious loser, like you look back last year with Ricky Stewart after the grand final being like, I'm not going to talk about the... Like, we all know what happened. He came out afterwards and was like, I'm not going to talk about the refereeing decisions. I'm here to talk about the game. And Like, that's being a gracious loser. But as you say, he was very kind of like, oh, well, like that sucked. Anyway. Well, the that's nice paper. Like, no, can't cop it, eh? Yeah. Yeah, and and then the Alfie Langer Award for the storyline. It has to be. It's what Harry said earlier. I know he's talking about the moment of the game, but the storyline for me is definitely those those nights celebrations. Hey, I know it happened in '97 too, but going back to Newcastle Marathon Stadium at two or three a.m. and having that party and having those five guys that you know Bill Peden story ending here, but five guys who did both the premierships. I think that's kind of the story of this for me. And obviously, that the para upset season is probably another thing. But as Harry said earlier, probably isn't as big as an upset as we all think it was. It, it doesn't surprise me in the least that yeah, Newcastle no, I know, I know, on yeah. a massive party at two o'clock in the morning. Just put it that, put it to you there. Yeah, it's it, fair. The, the thing is, as well, the winter days, like an NBN actually televised, like they put a parade on and that, like they televised it, and you know, like the the city declared a public holiday and things like that. Like it's just it. <laughs> It's a rule unto itself when Knights win premierships, and like just see, like looking up the scenes from that has just—it's made me probably keener than ever. That God damn, I just want my team to get to a grand final again. They got close a few years ago in thirteen, but they would never realistically a chance in that game. 
but you just want them to get back so bad, like because it just it provides such a huge shot in the arm for the community. A bit like the Raiders last year had that similar effect, where yeah, it, like the whole the whole it's a thing for the whole town. Like, and that's the thing that um, in a lot of the post game interviews and even during the parade and stuff like that, um, like Joey Johns is, you know, well, I mean, he he's going to forever be the club's greatest player, and he lives in lived and played in the fishbowl of Newcastle, this rugby league mad town where he's the icon. But it was never lost on him, and he kept saying all the time, he said, "This is just more that these grand final wins are just more than a game." like they're just such a huge moment for the community as a whole like and you know like for him to say that like if 16 other blokes say it, I understand it but like it really nails it when Joey says it when Joey's buying into that it, it's a it's a thing for the community and you know, it's not just for us players like and that's what does make it special yeah exactly right and that so that was the 2001 grand final Harry Ramage was it every bit as great as you remembered it rewatching it this week I I don't get sick of watching it. Like I just love watching the first half in particular. Like the, it's just, it's just something else to put on and just go. All right, this is this is just how you absolutely Roger a team in a big game. Like yeah, this is John's pulling all the strings. BK's breathing fire. Josh Perry and Matt Parsons are kicking the door down. You've got Rudder and Gidley scheming on the right, the right side. You've got. A dream backline, and Badiris in the middle, with just this beautiful combination with Johns. They just played at a different pace to what most teams could at that time on that night, and it was just—it's it, just honestly the most beautiful half of football to watch for me. Yeah, for me, it's not. Sorry, mate, but for me, it's not a. It, it was a, one of the greatest first half performances in the grand final history that night's team. One of the greatest rugby league seasons of, of our lifetimes. One of the greatest grand final chokes. But I don't think it's one of the greatest games. Even though we call it the greatest episode, I think the Knights are so good in that first half that it, it ruins the 80-minute spectacle. <laughs> yeah, it's the performance of the Knights that, that puts it in the, the great moments or great games category. Like, it's not, it's not your knockdown, drag them out, fight where it's decided in the last three minutes of the game. It's not one of those. It's one of those, holy shit, you want to see how the game should be played? Flick on the first 40 minutes of this game and get this. That's it. That's it. You nailed it there. Yeah. The game game as a whole kind of sucks in, in, like, if you're looking for a close game. I hate to say it, but it does kind of suck if that's what you're into. So, (laughs) but as a Knights fan, I'm not into that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no. uh, look, we can forgive you as a Knights fan for wanting to go back and watch this one. Absolutely forgiven. <laughs> uh, Mitchell, would you like to uh, give a shout-out to our lovely Patreons? Oh, mate, I always love to shout-out our Patreon. So if you don't know people, everyone should know by now, but you can get behind us on Patreon over at patreon.com forward slash Rookies. We've got a fair whack of you guys now, but, uh, you know, more is always good for us and I appreciate everyone who gets behind us over on Patreon. Anyway, the ones we're shouting out, the uh, Boom Rookie tier pledges. And so those are Chris Abnell, Dan Cullinane, Dave, Jason, Carlo Tyson, Matty McPherson, Roxanne Clark, Simo Ali, Ty, Tom Hardy, Warwick Ahern, and one additional guy, it's Scott Finlayson. So thanks 
especially to those guys who pay for the privilege to get shouted on the podcast. But thanks to all the Patreons for getting behind us and, uh, yeah, making sure this show keeps running. Yeah, big shout out to them. Big love. Yep. And, of course, the more, the obviously, the, the, the more... The more patrons we get, the more sort of patron-only content we will be rolling out. So, yeah. And again, as I've said this every time, but I'm still just so grateful and humbled that we've even got anyone, much less the, the, the quite substantial number we've got now of people sort of paying to sort of listen to this every week. It, it's truly, truly, truly uh, humbling. Oh, yeah. And you'll get a new intro and outro, people, because we can no longer take money <laughs> with, uh, without, with royalties on our podcast. So royalty-free music. It's some great stuff. Yeah, it's a shame. Nick Campton messaged me last week. It was like, oh, can I pick the song for the outro? And I was like, sorry, man, we don't have outros anymore. Can't do it. So, yep. There that goes. Um, Harry Ramage, uh, thank you very much for coming on. I'm sure we'll have you on again very soon to discuss a myriad of things. You're obviously a rugby league encyclopedia and there's nothing we love more than having you on to yarn about anything and everything rugby league. Uh, and of course, to Mitch and Dale, as always, it's, it's been a pleasure to see you guys and I hope I can see you guys again in person very soon. Harry, is there anything else you'd like to say to our listeners before we get out of here? Um, stay safe with all the COVID nonsense that's going on at the moment. I know things appear to be looking up as of this week, and people in groups of two can go and visit other people. Uh, but like, let's let's not get silly here, okay? Well said, sa- sa- sage advice from from a smart man. All right, say goodbye, Harry. I'll catch you all later. Say goodbye, Mitchell. Say that, everybody. Say goodbye, Dale. Goodbye, Dale. And it's goodbye from me.